AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at reservebar.com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at reservebar.com. Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on Don't What? Charles Darwin. All right, well it is Monday, so you know what that means here on Nerd Sesh. It's time for a sports history pod today. We're going to be deep diving the top 10 quarterback, running back, receiver trios in NFL history. We've already done the top 10 quarterback receiver duos that you can go back and listen to, but we might as well throw in the third element of the elite running back as well. So Logan, without further ado, let's start from the bottom. Who do you have at number 10? Well, I'm actually going to start with a team, uh, a group I omitted, Carson, and I think it's uh, I think it's important to talk about them. Uh, the Cowboys triplets. I completely axed them from my list, even though I think they are arguably one of the most iconic in NFL history. And and the reason why, I mean, you can attribute their three Super Bowls to their success on offense, but I think their defense deserves a lot of credit in the same right. And honestly. Um, Emmitt Smith is not the issue in this part of the equation. He won an MVP during this time. He was four times first team all pro and he had, this is a crazy stat to me, Carson. He was first in rushing touchdowns over this nine season span, 40 more than second place, Barry, 60 more than third place in Ricky Waters. Emmitt is not the part of the problem here. It's Troy Aikman. His averages over these nine seasons, Carson, under 3000 yards, 15 touchdowns, 11 picks. So I just wanted to make as many Cowboys fans as angry as possible as we started this pod. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say on the uh, Cowboys triplets? Well, I think that this is an interesting take because I certainly think they are an overrated trio. I think in some people's minds, they're probably the most iconic in this conversation, and they're certainly not the best. The main reason being, they do have a weak link in Aikman, who was basically a slightly above league average quarterback for this entire decade. And I do think that you're right about them having a tremendous defense that propelled them to a lot of these wins. At the same time, you have the most productive Running back of the decade in Emmett Smith, you have, I would say, the second best receiver of the decade, Michael Irvin. I think he can be overrated, but he's still on the fringes of the top 10 receivers of all time conversation, especially when you consider he was, 
you know, active for the full decade. He doesn't come in later like an Isaac Bruce or a Randy Moss or any of those guys. And the team's success to me is also largely due to the offense. They had four top three offenses in football. And so I think that all in all, if I were to cut them completely, that would mean I have no tolerance for slightly weak third links, which is not the case. I have guys who are similar to Aikman, maybe not the quarterback position, but at a position. And so I think that if there's enough star power at the other two, you can still get there. And that's why I do have the triplets on my list. An interesting little pre-list discussion there, but I do think an important one because we feel at least similarly about how this trio is maybe overrated just to different extents. But who do you actually have at number 10? So at number 10, in a surprise turn of events, Philip Rivers makes a list of mine, Carson. At number 10, I have Philip Rivers, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Antonio Gates from 2006 to 2009 when they were all together. That's four seasons. Rivers uh, had two Pro Bowl appearances in this time. He led the league in passing touchdowns in 2008. He had the fifth most passing yards over the four seasons, the fourth most passing touchdowns. Um, and like as a season average, he had 3,700 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 picks. Obviously, this trio was carried by what LaDainian was able to do in the backfield. It's another reason why Rivers was so successful early on in his career because of how deadly the play action was with the danger of LT in the backfield. He won an MVP in 06. He was Offensive Player of the Year. He had two first-team All-Pro appearances. He led the league in rushing yards and touchdowns twice in 06 and 07. Over these four seasons, he's first in rushing touchdowns, first in rushing yards, first in total touchdowns. And Carson, his season averages 1,200 yards, 18 touchdowns, over nearly 400 receiving yards. He carried this offense on a different level. And we talking about weak links. I think the weak link here is obviously Antonio Gates, but to call him a weak link, I still think is discredit is a discredit to his game. Gates was never the most dominant receiver uh, yardage wise. He was never a big, you know, a big deep play threat. But in the red zone, he was dangerous because over this time span, he was only 24th in receiving yards total, but he was third in tight end receiving yards. He was always one of the most elite tight ends, but he was first in tight end receiving touchdowns over the four seasons and fifth in receiving touchdowns. Uh, his season average, his uh, season by season average is 71 catches, 942 yards, nine touchdowns. Um, and I wouldn't fault you for not having this uh, trio on your list. This is They were a very close make it to my list, and I'm not going to lie. The, it was very close between the Cowboys triplets and the Chargers ones, but I felt a little more modern offense, similar caliber running backs at their peaks in LT and Emmitt Smith. I don't think I'm out of line by saying that. And individually, I do think Rivers is a better quarterback than Aikman, uh, and that is ultimately what uh, kind of uh, spurred Rivers and this trio being on my list was simply the play at the quarterback position. So they're definitely one of my toughest cuts. And if you're looking at talent names, basically, I think that they certainly have a strong case. I would just argue, as you said, this is not the best stretch from Antonio Gates. And you really only have three years of arguably peak LT because by 2009, he's giving you 730 yards on 3.3 yards per carry. Even 2008, he's under four yards per carry, which is just really not characteristic of what he was at his peak. Still a touchdown machine, of course, and still, for the first couple years, the best running back in football, probably. I would just say that although LT is certainly uh, one of the best top guys you could have out of any trio, I don't think that the second and third guys quite match up. Rivers was really good, but he was by no means a top three quarterback in football on this stretch. And Gates was maybe a top three tight end in football, but he certainly was not a top three receiving option in football, as you mentioned way down there in the three years that I really focused on with this trio, 06 through 08, Gates was outside the top 25 in yards. So just not quite enough value there outside of Ladanian. And of course, they did have team success 
but not as much team success as some other candidates and not as much longevity. And so since they weren't that outstanding at their peak, I couldn't put them here. Well, and I did want to ask, where did the longevity versus peak factor uh, factor you in for, for this list? It's always a negotiation between the two, I think, personally. I couldn't put an exact number on how much do I factor in either. I will say, though, I favor incredibly high peaks over longevity, but I also think it's really hard to make a list if you have only a single season or something of sample size just because there's the element of maybe it being an outlier, you didn't do it for as long. But definitely, I would say higher peak is the more important thing. So... On the flip side of that, though, my number 10 duo is actually one that I would say is defined by longevity. I have the 70s Steelers trio of Bradshaw, Franco Harris, and Lynn Swan. They played together from 74 to 82, and maybe not the best player at any of these positions in the league at this time, but Bradshaw was among the league's best quarterbacks, Harris certainly among the league's best running backs, and Swan may be a quote-unquote weak link, but still among the league's best receivers. So, in this time frame from 74 through 82, Bradshaw was fifth in total yards. He was first in touchdowns, a three-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro, a one-time MVP, twice the league leader in passing touchdowns. Harris, to me, probably the strongest guy out of this group, second in yards over this stretch with over 9,000 led running backs in touchdowns with 73, a seven-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, and one-time touchdown leader. And Swan, as I mentioned, maybe doesn't have as outstanding of a resume. And I think you could make a case for John Stallworth as the guy in this trio. Although I think that Stallworth really came into his own after Bradshaw had retired and moved on. And when he could really be the clear number one guy with Swan out of the picture. So I will go with Swan from this era. But he's 12th in yards out of all players from 74 through 82. Third in touchdowns with 51. A three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, one-time touchdown leader. Not a single 900-yard season which is definitely a concerning stat, even given the context of the era, because you're not near the top of the leaderboards with that kind of production. But I think that that combined with, of course, the team success, which is impossible to separate from the fact that they had maybe the greatest defense of all time, which I think is owed the majority of the credit, which is also the reason I would say, if you're looking at three guys who won four Super Bowls together, maybe you'd expect them to be higher as the signature offensive players of that dynasty. But the defense is always what defined these Steelers squads. They only had one top three offense in their time together, did have four top five offenses though. So at least pretty darn good on that end of the ball and a 90 and 38 record over this period. That was third best in football. And another thing that sold me on this trio is that maybe the regular season production isn't as outstanding, but they were really good in the playoffs. We have a nice 16 game playoff sample size, which is my favorite thing in the world because you can compare it to just a standard season. Bradshaw was pretty good, 26 touchdowns to 20 interceptions, a 13-3 and record. Obviously, again, that is partly just the strength of the all-around team, but that's pretty good production. Harris was outstanding, 1,387 and 16 touchdowns, and Swan basically had a better playoff career than he ever did in an individual season, 907 yards and nine touchdowns. So that, to me, was enough to get them over the edge. I will say my toughest cut was another 70s duo that also had tremendous team success in Bob Greasy, Larry Zonka, and Paul Warfield. And ultimately, I would just give the edge to the Steelers because I think that they did it for a little bit longer. And I don't think that the peak was that significantly in favor of either duo. So I'll give it to the to the three guys that did it for longer. And this this will flow nicely here uh, because I have the Steelers trio from the 70s at number nine. Um, and uh, they were also a tough cut for me, I do want to say. But I think when you look at them individually, I would say the Steelers trio was all more talented um, at each individual position. Uh, just in, maybe, maybe I'm biased. I have a Steelers logo on my head right now. Um, 
But it is interesting to me that you went with Swan. I also went with Lynn Swan, but it was close just because of John Stallworth's averages. Uh, he had more receiving yards per game than Swan um, over this time period. And, and Stallworth just kind of got the short end of the stick from this era. Uh, he only played eight games in 76. He only played three games in 80. Um, but you're exactly right in why he wouldn't be the guy. He really came into his own after Lynn Swan left the team. And another thing uh, to add on to what you said, Bradshaw won an MVP in this uh, in this. Um, nine-season stretch as well. So I think that also helped propel them onto my list, being one of the best quarterbacks um, in this era, earning that trophy. Uh, They couldn't just be any higher, though, just because I feel like Lynn Swan hangs them out to dry so much. Um, And if you could combine Swan and Stallworth's numbers, maybe they're a little higher. I think maybe a lot higher. This could be one of the greatest trios of all time, but I just couldn't put them any higher just because this offense still is a little prehistoric. I think Franco carried most of the weight offensively. And like I said, you don't have that one dominant receiving option. You have two in Swan and Stallworth. So my number nine is another 70s trio that maybe doesn't have sort of like the Steelers trio that we just talked about, that one all-time individual performer, but a really strong collective impact. I have Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, and Drew Pearson of the late 70s. Only played together for three seasons, 77 through 79, but I think they all performed very well on that stretch, well enough to make up for the lack of longevity, in my opinion. Staubach was second in touchdowns in this period with 70. He was first in yards with 9.4 thousand, a three-time Pro Bowler, certainly among the league's best quarterbacks at this time. Dorsett was the guy who was sort of the new piece in this cog because Pearson and Staubach had been together for some time, but I think he was also the most explosive of the three at this point in their respective careers. He was second in yards over this stretch, fourth in touchdowns. That's with 3,425 respectively. Was a one-time Pro Bowler, which maybe undersells his value a little bit, but three straight thousand-yard seasons with about 4.6 yards per carry, which is a pretty good bang for your buck there. And then Pearson, third in the league in yards in this stretch with 2.6 thousand, tied for 20th in touchdowns, which is not great with 13, but among the league's leading receivers in yards every year, and one-time league leader, in fact, in that category. And then, sort of like the Steelers trio, these guys have a bunch of team success. They were Super Bowl champs. They were Super Bowl runner-ups in another season. And I think the advantage for them over the Steelers trio would be their offense was more at the forefront of that team success, whereas the Steelers, it was certainly on the other side of the ball. The Cowboys had the number two, number one, and number five scoring offenses in these three seasons, a 35-11 and record over these three years when Staubach played. So, to me... That was enough to give them the slight edge, although they didn't have as much time together, just because I think that they were more directly related to their team's success, a little more explosive at their peaks, basically across the board. Uh, I'm going to frustrate Cowboys fans once more. Uh, This was a team, this was a trio that I omitted from my list as well. Um, I just felt that uh, Pearson's production just wasn't up to par with certain guys. I think Staubach and Dorsett, young Dorsett was a beast. Young Dorsett's one of the best running backs I've ever seen. Uh, You know, that's why the Vikings gave up all those first-round draft picks for him. They uh, were one of the first cuts off of my list right behind Zonka, Greasy, and Warfield. But I do like your take, though, because I do think they were more conducive to winning offensively than any uh, any Steelers trio from that era. So this is interesting because I feel like you have taken the Cowboys offensive quarterbacks, trios, what have you, are a little overrated because of the brand and the team success to a more radical position than I am at because I generally believe in that take. I maybe just don't believe in it to the same extent because I do think that this is a deserving trio and I think that the triplets are a deserving trio as well, just maybe not in the same tier that people consider them historically. But let's move on to your number eight. Who do you have? So it surprised me how good this trio was for the short period they were together. 
I went with John Elway, Terrell Davis, and Shannon Sharp. Um, they played four seasons together, 95 to 98. They won two Super Bowls in 97 and 98. Elway was second in passing TDs over this time span, fourth in passing yards. His season averages 3,300 yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 picks. Um, but it, this this trio was built on the back of another dominant running back, and that was Terrell Davis. I think we, we've talked about this before, Carson. I think TD is one of the most underrated running backs in NFL history just because his peak and uh, career was so short. He had four healthy seasons from 95 to 98 because you could extend this trio's uh, time into 99, except Terrell Davis tore his ACL in 99, so that negates it. Davis uh, racked up a ton of hardware. He was the 1996 Offensive Player of the Year, the 98 MVP, and the 98 Offensive Player of the Year. He was three times first-team All-Pro, 96 to 98, also a three-time Pro Bowler. He led the league twice in rushing touchdowns in 97 and 98. He was third in rushing touchdowns in 96. Led the league in rushing yards with 2,098, and he was a two-time runner-up in rushing yards in 96 and 97. Over this time span, second in rushing yards, fourth in most total yards, in first in rushing touchdowns, and total touchdowns. I mean, TD was just unconscious during this era. Um, 1,600 rushing yards, an average season, 14 rushing touchdowns. That's 104.5 a game. Um, and then when you look... Obviously, the weak link here, but I wouldn't even call Shannon Sharp that. He was an elite receiver still then. Three times first-team All-Pro, obviously, at the tight end spot. It's a little hard to compare, but when you do look at total receiving yards, he does lack compared to some of these other receivers on this list. 19th most receiving yards over this time span. The most by a tight end, though, um, effectively. 15th most uh, receiving yards. No, both of those cannot be correct. It's 19th. 19th, Okay. Uh, but he did have the second most receiving touchdowns by a tight end over that time span, but only the 15th most total receiving touchdowns by any receiver. So if you're going to point to a weak link, which I definitely think in the context of this podcast, ultimate all-time receivers, I don't think Shannon Sharp quite holds a candle to uh, some of these other all-time greats that we're going to get into. Jerry Rice is on two of my other duos on this list just because of, you know, when you compare those two, I don't think uh, it's quite the same, but Terrell Davis is the real reason that got this trio on my list because of how dominant he was over this four-season stretch. Yeah, I think that he had absolutely one of the highest peaks of any running back of all time, and of course, you also have a top 10 quarterback, maybe not at his peak, but still alongside him and propelling the team to some wins in John Elway. I have this trio a few spots higher, and I do think it's interesting. One thing that comes into consideration with this group is the Rod Smith versus Shannon Sharp discussion, I would say, because I think Rod Smith is the better player on their championship teams. It's also only two seasons that the three of them have together, so I didn't want to go with such a small sample, so I did choose Sharp, but I'll get into why I have them a few spots higher. My number eight, I have a another Steelers trio, Antonio Brown, Big Ben, and Le'Veon Bell, the Triple Bs, as they were called, and I really think that there's a case for them to be ranked higher because if you look at their respective positions, AB was the best or second best receiver in football on this stretch, and Le'Veon was probably the best running back, and so the fact that I don't have them higher makes me a little bit nervous just because of that fact, but they played together from 2013 through 2017. In that period, Ben ranked sixth in yards, fifth in touchdowns, a one-time league leader in yards. Le'Veon Bell was third in total rushing yards with about 5,300, fourth in rushing touchdowns with 35, but also gave you value as a receiving back, second in total yards from scrimmage at about 8,000. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro, and then Antonio Brown, to me, is the strongest of the group, even better than Le'Veon, led the league in catches, yards, and touchdowns in this stretch with over 7,800 yards and 52 touchdowns, a five-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, two-time league leader in yards, and I think that What's so remarkable about this trio is if you look at their collective peak season in 2014, 
Ben gives you a league-leading 4,952 yards, 32 touchdowns to nine picks. Le'Veon gives you 2,200-plus yards from scrimmage and 11 touchdowns. And Antonio Brown gives you 1,698 yards and 13 touchdowns. That is absurd. The team success was there as well to a certain extent. They were 53-27. and 27. That was the third-best record in football in this time. Only 3-4 and four in the playoffs. And a stat that ultimately I thought was pretty telling to why I don't have them higher only one top five offense, which I think is very strange when you're talking about a team that I would say had a good O-line and obviously had these three dynamic players. I think it's a little weird when you aren't putting up more points, but regardless, if you look at their playoff performance, Ben was okay, 10 touchdowns to seven picks, 300 plus yards per game. Le'Veon only played in four of those games, and I do think that his injuries obviously kept this duo from having even more success, this trio I should say, But he did have 500 plus total yards and four touchdowns in those four games. And AB had 677 and four touchdowns in seven games. So maybe they don't have the most longevity. Maybe they don't have the most team success. And it's weird to me that they didn't have better team offenses. And I do think that that matters. But they, okay, Logan, you don't think it matters. Why don't you think it matters? Man, screw what the numbers tell me. I watch these guys play game to game every year in this stretch. I, they had the best offense year in, year out. No matter what. I don't care that it says that they don't have a top five scoring. I know we're going by points here. Mm-hmm. Talent-wise, and what, and I, there are factors that you can attribute this to. Big Ben throwing a crap ton of picks over this time. It's what Ben's always done. But also, we just didn't finish drives. That was something that the Steelers always had issues with. But I think... Isn't that the most important thing in football? Actually getting points? Yeah, I would say so. But we had... If you're going to ask me to take three guys to march down the field, they might be... I mean... I'll get into where I have them on my list, but they're much higher because I think the collective of where Bell and Brown stood in the league standings compared to other running back and wideout duos is unparalleled. And I think that is the case, but again, because of some of the issues that we just touched on, I don't have them any higher. I do think if you're looking at absolute peak, they are a top five trio for sure, but Ben didn't have that many crazy good seasons in this stretch. You mentioned the turnovers what are you upset about? It, we're, we're talking about an insanely his, high standard here. He had his best one ever. In and I trip. talked about it. That's why I'm saying outside of that. I think their peak season in 2014, I literally just said, is a top five peak season of any of these trios. But outside of that, should we run down Ben's numbers? So let me ask you this. Are you holding any of their team success against them? Not in a significant way, I wouldn't say. I'm definitely more concerned about the fact that their offenses were not that dynamic actually scoring the ball than anything that has to do with team success because I think there's too many variables with that. But when you have a good O-line and these three guys of this caliber, basically every other trio here has elite team offenses year in, year out. And I think that that is very concerning that there's an outlier here. And I know that you can talk about the talent that's on display. That's why they're on my list. That's why I said that Le'Veon was the best running back in football. AB was a top two receiver in football. But it's definitely weird when they're the only team here, basically, that doesn't have elite team offenses that consistently. And I will read out Ben's numbers year in, year out, because they're not that great. 2013 is 28 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. That's a pretty good season. 2015, 21 to 16. 2016, 29 to 13. 2017, 28 to 14. He's certainly a top 10 quarterback in football on that stretch, but I don't think he's necessarily that much better than that. So that is when we're talking about this kind of all-time talent, something that's worth criticizing. All right, you're just shaking your head and you're not saying anything, but let's move on to, okay? I do think that you can attribute some of those. I don't want to put this all on the defense. I do think you can attribute some of Ben's interception numbers 
due to the fact that we were scrambling in a lot of late games trying to get back into position because our defense was just allowing so many points night in, night out. Now, this doesn't apply to like 2014 to 2016 when we had Ryan Shazier on the field. After that with his trio. Well, Logan, there's only one season after that. It's only 2017. And I'll tell you this stat. Twice the Steelers had a better scoring offense than scoring defense. Twice they had a better scoring defense than scoring offense. And once they ranked the exact same in the league. So I don't think that you can just put that blame on the defense when they're not putting up as much points compared to the relative standards of their leagues as a lot of these other trios. That's all I'm saying. I agree with you. Outstanding individual talents, particularly Le'Veon and AB. I don't think this is peak Ben though for the most part, except for 2014. And we've already talked about the reasons that I criticize this trio. So let's move on to number seven. Who do you have? At number seven, I have a 49ers trio. Steve Young, Ricky Waters, and Jerry Rice. They only played three seasons together, but they were elite. They won a Super Bowl. Steve Young takes home two MVPs in this stretch in 92 and 94. He also takes home an Offensive Player of the Year. He was All-Pro first team every single year. He was also a Pro Bowler every single year. He finished twice as a runner-up in passing yards in top five another time in 94. He led the league all three seasons in passing touchdowns. Over this stretch, he was first in passing yards, first in passing touchdowns, and his season averages are nuts. 3,800 yards, the yardage totals aren't crazy, but 30 touchdowns to 11 interceptions year in, year out is absolutely elite. And at the running back position, I think people forget what a weapon Ricky Waters was at his prime, man. Waters is one of the best running backs in the league. Three-time Pro Bowler, he was 7th in rushing yards over this time span, 10th in total yards over the time span, 2nd in rushing touchdowns, 5th in total touchdowns. His season averages, and I think this is the reason why he's a little bit underrated historically, is because he was one of the first dynamic receiving weapons out of the backfield. 947 rushing yards per year don't really blow you away, but couple that with 483 receiving yards? Yeah, he's just an absolutely dynamic weapon, and 11 touchdowns per year as well. Again, though, what brings this trio up is, of course, the greatest offensive player of all time in Jerry Rice. Uh, One-time offensive player of the year in 93, all three years, first-team All-Pro and a Pro Bowler. He leads the league in receiving yards every single year. He led the league in receiving touchdowns in 93 and was a runner-up in 94. He's first in receiving yards over the time span, second in receiving touchdowns, only to Sterling Sharp, surprisingly. Um, And his totals for this time, 4,200 yards, 42 touchdowns over this three-year span. Absolutely unconscious. I think if we're looking... Surely ability-wise, I think these guys could rank even higher. The only thing that's really holding them down on my list is simply the fact that they only have three seasons played together. So I do not have them on my list, but I think that's a mistake. So I'm going to call a mid-episode audible. I'm going to bump them into my number nine spot. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call you a little, cause you a little more Steelers angst. Although I know you hate Terry Bradshaw, so I don't even know if you'll be that upset about it. They're unfortunately going to get the boot. I think you made a good case. I will be honest. I think that I sort of was content when I had my Montana era trio and I forgot about Ricky Waters and his incredible value and I think that you're absolutely right a versatile back and when you have a young rice duo your running back basically only has to be pretty good to get you on the list and he was certainly pretty good and a little bit more in fact so good job you have gotten me to change my list and they are now my number nine but my number seven is a trio that hits very close to home for me I have the Bills trio of the 90s I have Jim Kelly Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed they play together from 88 through 96. Kelly was fifth in yards in this time. He was second in touchdowns, led the league in passing touchdowns once, was a four-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro, certainly among the league's best quarterbacks in this time. Thurman Thomas is the guy who makes this trio stand out, absolutely. Has about as high a peak as any running back in history, which is hard to say, actually, because running back peaks are pretty crazy, but I'll read you out the numbers and you can come to your own 
assessment of that. So he's second in yards in this era with 10.8 thousand between Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith ahead of Emmett Smith in this time. I will remind you he's third in touchdowns with 62, definitely not ahead of Emmett Smith, but he's fourth in total touchdowns with 82. And of course the first revolutionary running back, I would say maybe not the first, but the best truly elite pass catching running back, the predecessor to Marshall Falk led the league in yards from scrimmage in this stretch with 14.6 thousand and was consistently putting up ridiculous numbers as far as yards from scrimmage because of his potency as a receiver, a five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, and one-time MVP and Offensive Player of the Year in this stretch. And then Andre is, I wouldn't say he's the weak link actually because he was the pinnacle of consistency. And although his peak may not be as high as the other two or as other receivers on this list, I think there's a reason he was a seven-time Pro Bowler because he was always available and he was always making plays for you. Fourth in yards in this stretch with almost 9,000, sixth in touchdowns with 59. Of course, there is a bunch of team success here as well. The second most wins of this era, 97, four Super Bowl appearances, 11 playoff wins. And again, something that works in their favor, the offense was easily the driving factor in that. Four straight top three offenses at one point, and of course, revolutionary in that way with the Kagon style. And then if you look at their playoff performances, Kelly, definitely not great. 3,800 yards, 21 touchdowns to 28 picks in 17 games, which is definitely a knock on his resume, I would say, for good. At the same time, they did still get to four Super Bowls. Andre, though, pretty darn good. 1,169 yards and nine touchdowns in 19 games. And Thurman, ridiculous production, 2,100 yards from scrimmage and 22 touchdowns in 19 games. I think they have the combination of longevity, of not having a weak link, I wouldn't say, because I think that Kelly and Reed maybe aren't outstanding in the context of this list, but certainly were very consistently among the best at their position. And they have that one true all-time superstar in Thurman Thomas. Even if we don't talk about him that way, he was MVP of the league as a running back. He was a leader in yards from scrimmage for almost a decade. And all of that is very significant to his value. So that's where I come down with these three. I have them at number seven. What do you think about that? I mean, this will flow nicely. I have this trio at number six on my list. And honestly, uh, I think the longevity factor definitely helps them because I think if, you know, Waters, Rice, Young have a sample size that big or some of these other trios that are lower on my list are probably higher up. But uh, no, this, this trio has to be here if you're ranking these guys. Uh, I do think Jim Kelly and Andre Reed, in the entire context of everything, don't really... I think there are other more talented quarterbacks and wide receivers, certainly. Um, I do want to touch on what you said, though, Carson, about Thurman Thomas and being one of the first most dynamic running backs in NFL history. 1,200 rushing yards a year, nine touchdowns with 431 receiving yards. And this is for nine seasons. I mean, you literally don't have to ask for anything. Just Thurman, go out there and do your thing. And coupled with the four AFC championships, it just adds them to, uh, you know, adds a little more in their favor. I want to ask you, Carson, uh, sorry to drudge up all, you know, bad things. If the Bills end up winning one of those Super Bowls, do you look at this trio in any different light? Not really. I don't think they move up a spot higher on my list. Of course, historically, they're viewed differently, and I think that they're remembered more fondly, but they're also remembered pretty darn fondly as is, I would say, because they were still the best or second best franchise for basically a decade, along with the 49ers, I would say, and I guess throw the Cowboys in there because they did win the three Super Bowls, but I think that they kind of have maybe slipped through the cracks historically, but I also think that if you are tuned in to football history, you know how great they were. And a Super Bowl changes that, but in some ways also they're kind of more memorialized by the fact that they lost four times. I mean, if you go four times, I guess you're going to be remembered no matter what, but I do think that it's such a historically distinctive accomplishment, if you can call it that, that they do get remembered a good amount. And I do want to ask one more follow-up question. 
you as a Bills fan, educated on these topics, if you had to pick a weak link, a weak link, who is it? I think it's Andre. But again, I think that he had incredible longevity and consistency. But I would say that at his peak, if we're taking their individual peaks, he is the weak link of the three. I guess you could make a case for Kelly. I'm not going to make the case though. So my number six is actually another 90s trio. I have the triplets here, Aikman, Smith, and Irvin. And this was a really tough decision for me. I think that these two trios have a lot of similarities. Obviously, the running back is the outstanding guy of the bunch. I would argue that the Cowboys definitely have more of a weak link. I think they also have a stronger second guy in Michael Irvin as compared to Jim Kelly if you're looking at positional value. So let's just run down their resume. They played together from 90 to 99. Emmett Smith outstanding in this time. First in rushing yards with 14,136 touchdowns. That's first, as you mentioned, second, 85 He's 50 ahead of anybody in this period. 4.3 yards per carry. I think if there's a knock on Emmett's resume throughout his career, it's just that he had so many cracks at earning those yards. He wasn't always particularly efficient. He played forever. So that's why I think that he can be sometimes overrated historically because people just look at the raw numbers, but he was a little more efficient in this stretch of his career. He also led this era in yards from scrimmage and total touchdowns. So across the board, maybe not the most talented running back because of Barry Sanders, maybe even because of Thurman, you could make the case, but the most productive for this decade, no question. An eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, four-time yards leader, three-time touchdowns leader, one of the best red zone running backs that we have ever seen as well. Just a beast down there. And then Irvin is an interesting case because I think that he does get slightly overrated by the Cowboys brand, as I would say all three of these guys do. I think that He's not a top 10 receiver of all time, in my opinion, but as I mentioned, I think he's probably the second best receiver of the 90s decade as a whole. Throw Tim Brown, Chris Carter in there, but he's second in receiving yards in this time with 10,900 yards, seventh in receiving touchdowns with 58, a five-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, and then Aikman. Is he a weak link? Absolutely, but when I'm comparing him to some other weak links that I have on my list, like, for example, an Antonio Gates, who, as we mentioned was 24th in the league in receiving yards. Aikman is still fifth in yards over the stretch. He's eighth in touchdowns. He's a six-time Pro Bowler. The numbers aren't flashy. He's 100% overrated because of the team success and because of, I would say, his prominence post-career and the Cowboys brand and all of that. But he's still an above-average quarterback with a couple of explosive all-time weapons around him. And then they do have the team success. They're 101 and 59 in the stretch, the fourth best record, four top three offenses. As you mentioned, though, five top three defenses, seven top five defenses. You cannot discount that in the dominance of this team, but the three Super Bowls and in the playoffs, these dudes balled out and that absolutely matters. Aikman, 3,850 yards, 23 touchdowns to 17 picks. For him, that's pretty darn good. Smith, just ridiculous, 1,586 yards, 19 touchdowns in 17 games. And then Irvin, 1,315 and eight touchdowns in 16 games. They were dynamic offensively, particularly in the biggest moments when they stepped up and they won games that really mattered. And I think that even though they may not be as good as people remember them, they still deserve a spot on this list. I do want to revisit a point you made. I don't think I don't think Michael Irvin is overrated historically. I think if anything, I think because of his touchdown numbers, Irvin's a little underrated. Just because okay. in the red zone, you're always going to give the ball to Evan. You know that's why his touchdown numbers are so inflated like that. I think when people look at Irvin's numbers, don't get me wrong. If you think Michael Irvin is a top ten wide receiver of all time. I'm hitting you in the jaw, bro. Like, it's you're, you're just wrong. That's my point. I think that most people do think he's a top 10 receiver of all time. 
Or at least a lot of people do. If that is the main point, then I do think he's a little overrated, but I think people will look at those receiving touchdowns and be like, man, Michael Irvin sucked. No, that just that just wasn't how the Cowboys offense worked at the time. Although, I will revisit. The reason that I have him off the list is I just think Troy Aikman's numbers are so just disappointing compared to any other guys. As you said, though, compared to the era, it's actually not that bad. Yeah, and I think that if you're going to point at a weakness, it's absolutely him. But again, fifth in yards, eighth in touchdowns, that's good enough to me to say the overwhelming star power of Emmett and of Irvin as well and the team success and the dynamism of the offense as a whole and all of that, it's enough to get them on my list in the number six spot. Into the top five now. Who do you have fifth? So uh, let's get into it. Uh, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm crazy. I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers trio of Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown uh, at my number five spot. And I do want to do a bit of an apples-to-apples comparison, Carson, because I don't think you can do it with, with basketball, with different roles that guys play. But I do think in a game like football where it's position-based, you can. So let me ask you this. Would you take Big Ben or Troy Aikman? First of all, I love how you're saying that because... I did once use that argument against you. I believe Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan might have come up. Yes, no, I that. lost. I will admit, okay. I lost. I got beat. All right. Um, I'm taking Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. You're taking Emmitt Smith, or are you taking A.B. or Michael Irvin? I'm taking Antonio Brown. Okay. Would, are you taking Big Ben or Jim Kelly? That's, that's a tough one. Honestly, I think I'm probably taking Jim Kelly. Okay. I can't fault you. Are you're taking Thurman as well? I'm taking Thurman, but it's close. And then you're going to take A.B. over Reed? Oh, uh, certainly. Okay. So... My case, I do think Le'Veon's numbers are a little um, like underinflated because of his injury in this stretch. Um, he's third in most total yards, sixth in most total touchdowns over this time span, third most rushing yards, fourth most rushing touchdowns. Um, but he only played six games in 2015, so because of you know my most hated rival in Vontez Perfect. Um, he finished three times top five in rushing yards when he was healthy, 2014, 2016, 2017, uh, two-time first-team All-Pro. Like I just think... When I look at these guys, among other ones, I don't know if there has been another trio with the best running back in football, the best wideout in football, and I completely agree. If you're going to point to a weak link, it was Ben Roethlisberger and his deficiencies as a quarterback, but in the grand pantheon of of other quarterbacks on this list, he is still a Hall of Famer and still one of the greatest of all time. So I, I took, yes, my bias Steelers opinion, I took these guys, very small sample size of only five seasons. But I think collective talent-wise, I think you could make a pretty concrete argument that they're top three just at what they did at their peaks. Yeah, and I'm not going to take issue with with you having them fifth. I completely understand it, and I think based on talent and peak alone, that is where they belong. But I also think that it's tough to separate some of these things, and they don't have the most longevity. And I do think, now this doesn't speak to his value in his time with the Steelers, but obviously Le'Veon really dropped off after that. And again, that doesn't speak to his value with the Steelers, but it does make you wonder if maybe he was a little more privileged than we initially thought. Can I, can I give my take on, on why Le'Veon dropped off? Absolutely. I think the first issue was I think he got lazy and stopped working out. I think you saw him go out and party in Miami. Uh, and then you go from one of the best zone-blocking schemes, in, and it wasn't... I'm not going to say Le'Veon wasn't a special running back, but what James Conner did in his replacement that year, what he did to relieve him, dancing between holes, that was so much more based on the offensive line. Like, you ask yourself, why have the Steelers not been able to run the ball in the past year? Well, because our offensive line just sucks. I'm not saying that Le'Veon wasn't a part of that. It is one of the most graceful styles of running I've ever seen, but I think our offensive line was such a huge deal as to why he was successful. And then you go to New York. And it's one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And I just I do think that a lot of it was situationally based. Yeah, and that's sort of part of my argument against Le'Veon, I guess I would say, is it's a brief peak. He wasn't really healthy for all that long. And 
I have to wonder if he could have had that success anywhere else, because as you mentioned, he's the most patient runner ever, I would say, that I've seen in my life. But you also can't be that patient everywhere. You have to have a great O-line in front of you. And so that doesn't work everywhere else, where I would say Thurman has that sort of Swiss Army knife skill set where he can be that dynamic receiving threat. Emmett has obviously an incredible O-line as well, but it's so overpowering in certain situations. And I don't know that Le'Veon necessarily had that. To talk to another great running back, you should you should tell that to James Conner. Um, yeah, I'm going to call him up after this. Dude has the absolute worst burst through the hole I've ever seen. You should watch Devin Singletary more. <laughs> Let's just talk about Bills and Steelers running backs who disappoint us. No, it's not actually do that. So... I believe that this is actually a direct swap between our two lists. I have the Elway TD Shannon Sharp trio fifth. And I definitely thought about interchanging basically everywhere five through eight. But I do think that this trio was pretty darn good at their best. So Elway was fourth in this era in passing yards. He was second in touchdowns, a three-time Pro Bowler. Now this is not peak John Elway. This is twilight John Elway, but still certainly a top five quarterback in football among the league's best at this time. And then TD, as you mentioned, you read off the stats, but he was just transcending this period, led the air in touchdowns, second in rushing yards, and the 2,000-yard season, but that's not even an outlier in this stretch. He's putting up numbers similar to that in a couple other seasons, and of course, his MVP of the league. And then Sharp, as you mentioned, maybe lags a bit behind, 19th in receiving yards, tied for 11th in touchdowns, still the best player at his position, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. And I do think that if you look at the team offense, and again, part of this is hard to separate from the value of Rod Smith too, who is a fourth guy who we can't include in our best offensive trios list, but 97, they have the number one scoring offense. 98, they have the number one scoring offense. They win the Super Bowl both seasons. Personally, I think that Terrell Davis was one of the most incredible single offensive engines that we've ever seen at the running back position. And so even though Elway wasn't at his peak, maybe he wasn't the same dynamic threat outside the pocket or whatever, his job was easier and he did a really good job at it. And Sharp was a safety valve, one of the more unique receiving weapons we've seen at the tight end position. They won a bunch. They were 43 and 16 when Elway played altogether. And in the playoffs, they did okay. Despite the two Super Bowls, actually, their individual numbers aren't insane. Elway's about 205 yards per game, eight touchdowns to three picks. TD, is pretty freaking insane. He's 1,140 yards and 12 touchdowns in eight games. In eight games, he's on pace for 2,300 yards and 24 touchdowns. And that's what I'm saying. Like, he is so underrated somehow. I think people know about the 2,000-yard season and everything, but it's like the highest peak of any running back ever. And then Sharp is again the outlier. Only 258 yards and one touchdown in his playoff career. I think that Rod Smith did step up more in those big spots. But for me, the TD Elway pairing... With the apples-to-apples comp that you were just going through, it's like, am I going to take Troy Aikman or Jim Kelly or John Elway? Obviously, I'm taking Elway, even if it's not the absolute best he ever was. I'm taking Pete Terrell Davis over either of them. And then Sharp, I can excuse, even if he's not as high, as high of a level. I mean, can we run that back? On pace for 22, over 2,000 yards, literally it would be the greatest running back season of all time. Oh, by far. 24 touchdowns. That's stupid. Yeah, almost 2,300 yards is what he was on pace for. And to speak to, uh, you know, just his offensive engine, you remember that story in the Super Bowl? Mike Shanahan telling TD to get back out there even though he's dealing with migraines because we have to convince the other team we're running the football. If you're not out there, TD, they know that we're not. I mean, man, dude, those playoff numbers are ridiculous. Want to learn his yards per carry too? Yes, definitely. 5.6 in the playoffs. Again, it's as high of a peak basically as any running back has ever had. So that was the selling point. Did that make you want to move this trio up any higher? I mean, I feel like I've done them a bit of a discredit by keeping them so low. I mean, they're number eight. I might put them over Young Waters and Rice. Uh, 
and maybe even the over the bills trio. That's yeah, you sold me. That's a good case. We're not opposed to a mid episode audible here. We've already had one. So if you want to make any alterations, just uh, just let us know. But for now, let's move on to your number four trio. Who do you have? Number four, I think the top four trios were kind of carved out. Um, I have Peyton Manning, Edron James, and Marvin Harrison. Uh, They spent seven seasons together. Manning over the stretch won two MVPs, was Offensive Player of the Year in 2004 as well, was three times first-team All-Pro, led the league in passing yards twice, uh, in six seasons was top five in passing yards and passing touchdowns. He led the league in 2004, and he was top five in passing touchdowns every single year. Number one in passing yards and passing touchdowns in this time span. And his average is pretty good. 4,200 yards, 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 65% completion percentage on about 263 yards per game. I mean, Peyton's one of the best ever. Um, Edron James, four-time Pro Bowler, one-time first-team All-Pro, led the league twice in rushing yards in 99 and 2000, uh, was first in rushing yards over the time span, was fourth in rushing touchdowns. His season averages nearly 1,400 yards, rushing 11 touchdowns. To go along with 400 receiving yards as well, I think I was a little underrated on Edron as well. I didn't really think of... When I think of Edron, I think of him as this third wheel, and I do think in this context when you're looking at uh, the greatest QB wideout pairing of all time, in my estimation. Or no, I didn't. I actually had them second behind. Uh, no, you had them first. I had them first. I'm tripping. Yeah. I had to convince you and destroy you with facts and logic. No, you're right. You, you did. Uh, <laughs> I think of Edron as this third wheel. No, Edron wasn't, man. He was a big part of this offense, and I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle because, you know, running backs' peaks just aren't as long. They don't last as a while. Um as for Marvin, uh, the best wideout as well from this period, seven-time Pro Bowler every year, two times first-team All-Pro, led the league twice in receiving yards, led the league once in receiving touchdowns, had the most receiving yards over this time span, the most receiving touchdowns, and his season averages are just stupid. 104 catches, 1,400 yards, 13 receiving touchdowns, um, three of the greatest offensive weapons of all time. I do think they were held back a little bit by Edron James, but if you have this trio higher, I wouldn't fault you because they certainly have a little bit longer longevity than some of the other trios that I have a little higher than them. That's interesting to me because I think Edgerin is about as good of a third guy as there is on this list. You have the best player in football in Peyton Manning at the most important position. You have the best receiver in football in Marvin Harrison. You can make a Randy Moss case if you want, but far and away the most productive receiver in Marvin Harrison. And you have the most productive running back in football. I think that deserves a little higher than number four on the list. So I'll get into where I have them. But my number four trio is actually, speaking of who we had atop our quarterback receiver duo, I have the Montana Craig Rice trio. They played together from 85 to 90. And I've already talked about, obviously, the brilliance of Montana and Rice on that episode. But we'll do a quick refresher course. Montana, fifth in yards in this time, third in touchdowns, a three-time league leader in completion percentage, one-time leader in touchdowns, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, two-time MVP, Had some injuries throughout this period. Certainly the best quarterback in football, though. You're not going to make a case otherwise, unless maybe you're a Dan Marino stan. I'm not going to hear it, though. Obviously, Rice is more dominant, even 7,900 yards. Second best was 6,500. 79 touchdowns. Second best was 47. Just lapping the rest of the league. A three-time league leader in yards, four-time league leader in touchdowns. And then Craig is the reason I don't have them higher. I agree with you. My top four was very clear-cut as well. I did not consider moving any of them outside of that tier. Craig was incredible. I think he is historically forgotten to a certain extent. He was third in rushing yards in the stretch with 5,700, 10th in touchdowns with 35, 11th in total touchdowns. But another guy who had real value as a receiver, obviously had the first 1,000, 1,000-yard season when he was second in yards from scrimmage in this time with 9,000 at his peak from 85 through 89 because he wasn't quite as good at 90. 
He averaged 1,678 yards from scrimmage per season and was the one-time league leader there. And that's where his value is. It's as that all-around do-it-all back. And then they have the team success as well. They're two-time Super Bowl champs, 7-4 and four in the playoffs, 58-17 and 17 when Montana played. As I mentioned, he missed 20 games, but the winningest team of the era nonetheless. And in the playoffs, Montana was fantastic. 22 touchdowns to six picks in 11 playoff games. Craig was pretty good. 1,084 total yards, five touchdowns in 11 playoff games. And Rice was outstanding, of course, because he's the best football player ever. 969 yards and 12 touchdowns in 11 playoff games. Again, I think they're firmly in the top four. You're not going to come close to convincing me I should have Elway, TD, and Sharp above them. But I do think that Craig is the weakest player out of these 12 guys who we're going to talk about. And that's why I have them fourth, even though the quarterback receiver duo is the best of the bunch. You know, I can't fault you for uh, going against Roger Craig. Uh, I think he is certainly the weakest running back out of the top four, but uh, I do have them higher and I'll get into why. Fantastic. Let's move on now though to your number three. Who do you have there? Number three, an extremely short peak, an extremely long time, uh, extremely short time together. Uh, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, only three seasons, but they came away with the Super Bowl and all three of these, well, not all three of these guys, but they took home all three MVPs in this little short time period as well. Warner takes home two MVPs in 99 and 01, uh, finishes as a two-time first-team All-Pro in both of those seasons, was a pro bowler every year. He led the league in passing yards. He was also a runner-up. He led the league in passing touchdowns twice. He has the second most passing yards over this three-season span and the most passing touchdowns over this three-season span. Uh, his season averages 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, 18 picks. Uh, then you get to Marshall Falk. He won his MVP in 2000. He was Offensive Player of the Year every single year from 99 to 01. First team All-Pro and a Pro Bowler as well. Was Had the most total yards over the time span, the most rushing touchdowns, and the most total touchdowns over this time span. And Marshall Falk's numbers just don't make any sense, man. Thirteen, Nearly 1,400 rushing yards to go along with over 800 receiving yards and 20 touchdowns a season over this three-year stretch. I mean, quite possibly the greatest three-season stretch of any running back ever. I may, maybe you'd have to go back to Jim Brown and Barry Sanders, but I think there's a case to be made. And I wouldn't even call Isaac Bruce a weak link. He's one of the greatest wideouts of all time, one of the most criminally underrated. Uh, three-time Pro Bowler, never a first-team All-Pro over this uh, stretch. Uh, had the sixth most receiving yards over this time span, the fifth most receiving touchdowns. His season averages 76 catches, oh, nearly 1,300 yards, and nine touchdowns. I mean, I guess I call Isaac Bruce the weak link out of this bunch, but I really, none of these guys are. Um, they're carried by the strength of Warner and Falk, mostly Falk, but uh, I mean, just exceptional talent all around and exceptional production out of all of them with a Super Bowl to go on top. But I think the three MVPs in three seasons is what really uh, kicked them up a notch for me. So now we're getting to the top three where I think we are officially in the no weak link zone. And the all around strength of these trios is ridiculous. At my number three, I have sort of the polar opposite, though, to the Rams trio. I have the ultimate longevity group, and I'm going to assume that you have them here, but maybe you don't, and maybe there's someone completely off the board. I have Johnny Unitas, Lenny Moore, and Raymond Barry here, played together from 56 through 67. Unitas, his numbers always stand out so much within the era. 252 touchdowns, that was first. Second was 175, 33,000 yards. Second is 22,000, five-time league leader in yards, four-time league leader in touchdowns. We already talked about Raymond Barry on the last NFL episode as well, but he led the air in yards, was fourth in touchdowns, a six-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, a three-time league leader in catches and yards, and a two-time league leader in touchdowns. And then more to me is just an incredibly strong third guy because 
maybe not the greatest traditional running back, but 11,213 yards from scrimmage, that's second only to Jim Brown, 113 total touchdowns, that's second only to Jim Brown, who, by the way, missed three of the seasons in this stretch and is still leading in both those categories because he is the GOAT. But Moore was incredible. He was a four-time league leader in yards per carry, a one-time league leader in yards from scrimmage, a one-time leader in total touchdowns, and a six-time leader in yards per touch. Incredibly efficient when he got the ball, which you have to be as arguably the second guy within your own offense, maybe the first. I think you could make a case either way, but he was fantastic. Seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro. So, I mean, when you have the guy who is leading the league in passing yards and touchdowns by far, when you have the guy who's leading the league in receiving yards, and you have the guy who's second in yards from scrimmage, and then you also have tremendous team success, two-time NFL champs in the pre-Super Bowl era, 101 wins was second in this era, and the top scoring offense in football on three different occasions, they have to be a top three trio of all time. And I think that Johnny Yu continually shows up in these lists as I know everybody who watched him is well aware of how great he was because he was the best quarterback of all time for a good stretch, but I really don't think our generation is, and he is firmly in the top five, and he is not moving out of it anytime soon. Dude, I mean, Johnny Unitas has a greatest quarterback of all time case. I think that there is a case to be made. Um, no, I omitted this uh, trio from my list. No, I just wanted that all sound right. bite. Come yeah. on, guys. No, there was no sound bite, though. I just made a face. I mean, face bite. Whatever you want to call it. That sounds pretty weird, man. That's what we do here on Nerd Sesh. We get weird. Uh, <laughs> at number two, uh, I have a trio that you've already mentioned, Carson, uh, Montana, Craig, and Rice. And I don't want to understate what Jerry Rice was in this time period on his career. Carson, you mentioned he was first in receiving touchdowns and first in total touchdowns, first in receiving yards. He was first in receiving touchdowns by 32 touchdowns over this uh, over this six-season span. That's just dumb. And by, and it's it's not even close by total touchdowns either, if you include running backs. It's by 27. This is a wideout. Running backs can score in two ways. Running the football and receiving. Rice did it just by catching passes. And I'm not saying, like, he had, I believe he had four rushing touchdowns. But still, it just makes no sense. Uh, you already brought up Roger Craig, one of those versatile running backs of all time over this season, uh, six-season stretch. I did include 1990. Um, you already said it, 948, 557 every year, just extremely versatile, and Montana was the best quarterback of this era. I'm not going to lie to you, Carson. I seriously considered putting this trio at number one on my list because Montana and Rice are the great, uh, are one of the greatest QB wideout duos of all time. Roger Craig is a really solid third option, but as you said, uh, Craig out of all these guys is by far, in my opinion, the worst running back. And it's, it's a very slim margin, but if you've got to pick one guy out, it's Roger. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting because, as I said, they were easily in my top four. They were also kind of a clear four, though. I tinkered with my top three all in the number one spot. I didn't really get there with Montana, Rice, and Craig, but there's a case to be made just because of Montana and Rice, obviously, being the beta, the greatest quarterback-receiver duo ever, though. I do have Manning, James, and Harrison in my number two spot, though. And it's interesting because out of these top four, they have the least team success. They don't have a Super Bowl or the equivalent NFL championship and maybe they don't have insane longevity, but they certainly have a good amount of it. But you read off the numbers. It's just Marvin Harrison led the league in catches, yards, and touchdowns with 731, 9,850, and 89. His average season was better than 1,400 yards and almost 13 touchdowns, seven straight Pro Bowls, two-time All-Pro. James led the league in rushing yards from 99 through 05 with over 9,000. And they're both among the top eight leaders in total touchdowns in the stretch. And then Peyton led the league in yards by far, touchdowns by far. By the way, he had 218 touchdowns. Third place was 135. 
Second is Favre. He is 180 or something. But just a ridiculous gap between him. And as a team, they still had the best record in the league. Maybe they didn't come up with a Super Bowl, although they did literally the year after this, which I think tells you how much they were on the precipice. I will say the playoff numbers are not great for any of them. Peyton is 273 yards per game, 15 touchdowns, eight picks in nine games. James is 616 in nine games, five touchdowns. Harrison is 572, two touchdowns. That's not what you expect from these guys. I guess for me, it was just the value of having the literal most productive player each one of these positions over a seven-year stretch in which you're also the winningest team in football and the best offense in football. I mean, they had a top two offense four of these seven years, a top three offense five of these seven years, and a top five offense six of these seven years. That was too much for me to turn down, even though maybe they don't have a Super Bowl, and even though their individual playoff stats aren't overwhelming. Peyton's are still pretty good, but Really, Harrison, I would say, is the outlier just because of how exceptional he was during the regular season. Sadly, I did hold it against them. That was the reason that I couldn't put them uh, any higher than where I had them on my list. Just, and I know, I know it's it's a team sport, and some of these defenses during this time frame weren't elite. But I don't know. For me, I felt like you had to have a championship if you were going to nab that top spot on my list. And they didn't have the top spot on my list. They nabbed the number two spot. But let's hear who has the top spot on your list, Logan. It's a Colts uh, trio that you already brought up, and I just think the longevity factor plays into this uh, trio's hands more than anybody else's. Unitas, Moore, and Barry, uh, you broke it down. Unitas won three MVPs in this stretch, uh, by far the most passing yards in this time span, by over 12,000, the most passing touchdowns in this time span, by over 77. It's... It doesn't make any sense. Now, like his averages year to year, if you compare them to modern times, obviously they aren't as good. 2,700 yards, 21 touchdowns, 16 picks. But in this era where defensive backs could literally bully you up and down the sideline, for him to, for Unitas to just basically have a positive touchdown interception ratio is one thing. For him to be this elite in this tough an era of football is incredible. Um, You talk about Lenny Moore, and Carson, I'm going to be honest. I had never really like read into Lenny Moore. I had never really heard of the guy before we started doing the research for this. Lenny Moore was an exceptional football player, three times first team all pro, um, had the 10th most total touchdowns over this time span. You broke it down, was really close to any of Jim Brown's numbers. And he was, we talk about Thurman, we talk about Marshall Falk, we have discussed a lot of great dual threat running backs. And Lenny Moore was the first. I mean, uh, 52, uh, four, 431 rushing yards, nine touchdowns, 503 receiving yards. He was utilized more as a receiving weapon than anything else and was still an elite running back. And as you said, Raymond Berry was still one of the best uh, wideouts over this time uh, time span. 12 seasons, 9,000 receiving yards, 68 touchdowns. The year-to-year averages aren't exceptional. 52 catches, 756 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. But you still have to think, in this era, in this time frame, that is absolutely elite, especially when defenses could do basically anything that, that they wanted. Um, couple that with the two NFL championships that they won I think this is a recipe just it's a perfect storm they have the longevity they have the team success and they were each uh top three at their position over this nine season span and you could argue that maybe outside of Lenny Moore you could argue that Barry and Unitas were both the best at their position so that is why they are uh laying the number one spot on my list I think it's a strong case I definitely consider them having number one on my list and I think that it's an incredible trio all time however My number one trio is ultimately the greatest show on turf. I have Warner, Falk, and Bruce here, and you could really make a Torrey Holt case as well. He has very similar numbers to Bruce. Holt had 44 more yards. Bruce had eight more touchdowns. That was the deciding factor, but only three seasons is the counter argument if there is one. But as you mentioned, they claim every league MVP in those three seasons. 
They make two Super Bowls in those three seasons. And um, I don't really feel the need to run down that many of the numbers because you already did. I would just say Kurt Warner was the best quarterback in football over these three years. I don't really think that that's arguable. Peyton wasn't fully in his own yet. And Favre certainly was not performing at the same level as Warner. Falk was, I've thrown out a lot about incredible running back peaks, but dude, led running backs in yards per carry with 5.4. That's insane efficiency. He led the league in yards per carry every one of these seasons. He had 2,100 plus yards from scrimmage every one of these seasons. He had 6,800 yards from scrimmage. Second best was 1,500 less than that. He had 59 total touchdowns. Second best was 18 less than that. He's averaging six more touchdowns a game than any other player in football. It's just disgusting. 500 more yards per game that, or excuse me, per season. I should say that would be insane, but he's just so far and away the best player in football. And then Bruce is still incredible and gives you the sixth most yards, the fifth most touchdowns, all 1100 plus yard seasons. But I think partly what this comes down to too is no offense has ever peaked, has ever reached this peak. I think it's still the greatest offense of all time. And they're being challenged by the Chiefs right now. But if you look at how this offense performed compared to league average, they led the league in scoring each year, 32.9 points per game, 33.8 and 31.4. They led by at least three points per game each year though. They are far and away lapping everybody else in football. In 2001, they led by almost six points per game. In 99, they led by about five points per game. That's unthinkable offensive dominance. And in the playoffs, still pretty darn good. Warner, 15 touchdowns to 10 picks. Falk, 803 total yards and six touchdowns in seven games. Maybe that's not as good as regular season Falk, but you're taking that from any running back in football. And then Bruce gives you 86 yards per game, four touchdowns over seven playoff games. So basically in three years, they had the MVP every year. They made two Super Bowls and they had the greatest of offense of all time, certainly to that point, without anything approaching a weak link. I couldn't turn that down even if they didn't have the same longevity. I do want to give a shout out to like Leonard Little, Orlando Pace, some of the beefy boys on the line for making Absolutely. this happen. Um, no, you make a strong case, Carson, and I think the selling point is what you hit on. Uh, two Super Bowls, three MVPs. It, <laughs> nobody else has ever done that as a trio in NFL history. And it's all because of the offense. And yeah, obviously, partly due to the offensive line as well, which was great. An all-time offensive lineman in Orlando Pace. Another all-time receiver in Torrey Holt. Inseparable from the success that these three had. But I still feel good enough about them as a trio to have them number one. Well, I think what's even more impressive, Carson, is in 2000, this team with the best offensive, uh, with the best uh, offense in the league, had the worst defense in the league. And it's not like you're going to have this dramatic uh, increase just year to year. And I don't even care what the, the numbers will tell you because scoring defense-wise, they go to number seven in 01. They had the worst defense in 2000 and still had a winning record. Like, if that's going to tell you anything, it's, yes, it was all predicated on all of their team success was built on this offense. And that's why I have them number one all time. But I do understand cases certainly for your number one. And I would also say I would hear out a case for the Manning, Harrison, Edger, and James trio as well. And I would even hear out a case for the Craig Montana Rice trio. But let's get into some of the trios now that maybe do not have a case, but did have a case for this list are honorable mentions. Who do you want to shout out there? Uh, I do want to uh, briefly mention one that you brought up, Staubach, Dorsett, and Pearson, as well as Greasy, Zonka, and Warfield, as I brought up. Uh, uh, Talk about the triplets. Another tough cut for me was the Theismann, Riggins, Monk trio uh, for the 80 to 84 uh, Washington football team. Uh, they did win, they come up with a Super Bowl in 82. Theismann is an MVP in 83 and an Offensive Player of the Year the same year. He's also first team All Pro. Um, he's second in passing yards over the time span, fifth in passing touchdowns. 
His year-to-year averages aren't that impressive, but none of these quarterbacks from this era really are. 20 touchdowns, 14 picks, a little over 3,000 yards. Rigo was elite uh, in this stretch as well. Yeah, First-team All-Pro, led the league twice in rushing touchdowns. And what I think is one of the funniest things in NFL history, Carson, how the hell did John Riggins play fullback for 10 seasons in the league? Don't get me wrong. Like, fullbacks were getting their touches. This guy should have been a, like should have been a weapon, and this is maybe why... Maybe why he was able to be so successful this late in his career, because he had mostly just played fullback and hadn't been getting beaten up uh, nearly as much. But this was his peak, even as late as it was, 771 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns. The reason this trio doesn't make my list is because of Art Monk. Uh, Monk just, his his peak just didn't really line up. He was better after the years uh, with the fun bunch, after Theismann left, and with other guys. So uh, if I, Because I think this trio does make my list, if Art Monk's uh, peak really uh, matches up with these other two guys. But... Uh, he was a rookie and really young at this time. He was still great, um, but only the seven most receiving yards over the time span, the 23rd most receiving touchdowns, and ultimately I did have to hold that against them. They definitely have a case. One of my honorable mentions for sure. I would just say there's a few things that fall a little bit short. I don't think Theismann, although he has the MVP season, stacks up to most of the quarterbacks on this list. Riggins, his two peak years, absolutely, but not the consistency outside of that and still not efficient with his touches there. Dude was just a workhorse getting 370 carries a season or whatever. And I would not necessarily say that Monk is the weak link. I guess I just kind of consider them to all be in the same tier. Really, really good. Not quite on the caliber of some of the trios on this list though, but definitely an honorable mention for me as well. I guess my first one off now is the Steelers trio. And since I had to call that mid-episode audible, then I would have the Dolphins trio of Greasy, Zonka, and Warfield. Then I would have probably Rivers, Tomlinson, and Gates. I do want to shout out a single season trio of Randall Cunningham, Robert Smith, and Randy Moss. I can't reward one season, but their numbers from that one year are insane. Cunningham, 13-1 record, 34 touchdowns to 10 picks, led the league in passer rating. Smith, 1,187 yards and six touchdowns, a pro bowler. And then rookie Randy Moss, 1,313 yards and 17 touchdowns led the league there. If you're going to argue anyone for one season, it's going to be this trio, I think. And I tried to get this trio on the list as well. Um, I looked into even their years with uh, Dante Culpepper at the helm uh, with Randy Moss, but they only had Robert Smith for one year. They end up going over to Michael Bennett. And if you're looking at Dante Culpepper's numbers as a whole, uh, really not impressive over any stretch of time. But uh, I really tried to get this uh, a Randy Moss-led trio on the list. So there's nobody else really who I'm losing sleep over here. I wrote down Brett Favre, Amon Green, and Donald Driver just because I think that Favre and Green are in that tier. Driver, though, is not. And ultimately, they didn't have that third guy. I think maybe on the flip side of that, you could have argued maybe Favre and Sterling Sharp if they had that third guy, but they really didn't. I mean, no love for Matt Schaub, Arian Foster, and Andre Johnson. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. If Matt Schaub was a good quarterback if it was Matt Ryan Arian Foster and Andre Johnson they're on my list if it was Matt Stafford Arian Foster and Andre Johnson I think they're on my list Foster maybe didn't have the longest peak but man was he good I'm gonna have to cap you on that one bro on the Stafford on any of it I don't think Arian Foster and Andre Johnson are making this list with any other quarterback all right you know what we're officially going research mode maybe Aaron Rodgers I mean dude all right, you want me to read out Arian Foster's peak three seasons to Dude, you? It's why I mentioned him. I know Arian Foster's a beast. You don't have to justify that. You All right, I'm going to justify gonna... like just plugging in Stafford in here in among these other guys. How much better is? I guess this actually you didn't have them on your list, but I don't know if a team can make it with Troy Aikman with uh, Shannon Sharp or whoever. Some of the third guys just aren't on the same tier. I'm going to read out Arian Foster's numbers anyways, though. 
1,616 yards and 16 touchdowns in 2010, 1,224 and 10 touchdowns in 2011, and 1,424 and 15 touchdowns in 2012. Wow. And by the way, the 2011 season, maybe you're thinking, that's not that insane. 13 games he did that in. Have you heard the story about Arian Foster getting hurt? No. He literally kept it uh, from, I believe he, uh, before he got his contract, uh, before he got re-signed in Houston, he got hurt and didn't tell anybody. He played like an entire season just with uh, with a messed up uh, ankle, I believe. And uh, he didn't tell anybody because he was afraid the Texans weren't going to re-sign him. And so he ended up just toughing it out and playing through it. Am I supposed to be impressed by that? I'm <laughs> just kidding. I wonder if that's why he had such a, a brief peak. Oh, oh definitely, dude. He that had, sucks. Dude, even before, he had had issues his rookie season with injuries. Yeah, football sucks. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up here on Uh But that actually will wrap it up. So if you want more content like this, you can go ahead and check out our YouTube channel where we have been grinding with some NBA content. Logan just came out with a video on why Terry Rozier is the most underrated scorer in basketball. I just came out with a video and why Devin Booker is the most versatile scoring guard in basketball and why that matters for team winning in a big way. You can check out last week's episodes. We talked NBA a couple times, and we will be talking NBA again this Wednesday and this Friday. So you can follow us on social media at nerd underscore sesh on Twitter and at nerd sesh on Instagram. But with that, I've been Carson Braver. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.